शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्री मन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय घोर भक्त वृंद की जय घोर प्रमानंद हरिओ So good evening to all of you. Pranam, thanks so much for coming. It's my good fortune and honor to have the darshan of the Vaishnavas present here. And as we announced today in the morning, the idea is to share some moments today for questions and answers. So, not necessarily connected to the topic we have been discussing these days, of course. It's also a possibility if you have any questions connected to the contribution of the six Goswamis to the Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that's more than welcome. But if you have any other question connected to some other topic, also that's that's welcome as well. So as well for the ones connected online, if there are any questions. Any questions? <clears throat> I had a quick question. Um, I guess the first class that I made, the evening class, you were speaking about, um, was it Gopalabhata Goswami? Yeah. And you mentioned that um, he was like the designated Diksha Guru. Mm-hmm. And that just got me thinking about how my understanding of a guru-disciple relationship is that it's like not necessarily like designated um, by another other than the you know disciple and the guru like I was thinking I guess I've been thinking about it a lot because of sort of the modern guru approval system and it just sort of like reminded me of that because I've heard people say there's no precedent for this kind of guru approval or guru designation mm-hmm. that it's just a relationship between disciple and guru and it's um yeah and i mean we're talking about totally different things here but in a way but i was just sort of curious if you could expand on hmm. um the nature of that um i guess chaitanya mahaprabhu designating someone as as guru mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah if if I just yeah, curious how that happened. Is that unique, or is it um, yeah? Just what's the significance of that? <laughs> okay, yeah, good question. Thanks for the for the notion, for the idea. And um, <clears throat> yeah, as you mentioned, one thing. I mean, there is a relativity to that, as we mentioned that day, mm-hmm. in the sense of why Mahaprabhu, let's say chose uh, Gopal Bhatta Goswami, as we mentioned, it's not because the other five Goswamis were not as qualified, because we saw that that was not the case, but the, cons- the main considerations that took him in, 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 in this direction was more of a relative kind, re- re- related to Gopal Bhatta Goswami's like, prestigious background and, and high birth in South Indian Brahmin family, which again, in one sense, that's still relative. It's not speaking about which their inner adhikar and realization as Vaishnavas. But nonetheless, that had a very, if you will, powerful 
influence in the society of the times. And of course, for going deep into these things, we need somehow on some level at least to to travel in time, if you will, no? like 500 years back to another country and culture as it was India at that time. And it's not that easy to do. I mean, we may speak a little bit about that and how it was, but really to fully empathize with that, sometimes one has to enter into a, a deep detail, like sociological study of the dynamics of the time, Barnashram and the position of the Brahmin. So many things, for example. And we see this expressing so many layers and, and according to the times. Let's say, for example, Srila uh, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he, uh, he makes some very pretty revolutionary adjustments for the time concerning Brahmins and Vaishnavas and, and the Sanyas Ashram and many other considerations that at the time were like, what's going on here? But at the same time, here... He respected certain things. He didn't fully, let's say, transgress the the way things were be, were being done at that time. Let's say, for example, he he established Sanyas Ashram in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which was which was not was which was not uh, something common at that time. I mean, there were every every Tiagya renunciant was Sanya, uh, Babaji, and he established the Sanyas Order in a pretty revolutionary way by receiving the order in front of the picture of his guru and things that for many will be like I mean that's not the usual way to do things no? but but well the point is that he gave sannyas hmm, to I think 21 disciples if I'm not mistaken but interestingly all of those 21 disciples he gave sannyas to all of them were born in Brahmin families no? so to some degree he he kept with the status quo, if you will, with the social climate. Of, he gave sannyas to some, but not to those who were not Brahmins, if you will. Mm-hmm. Then Srila Prabhupada came and went beyond that, if you will, because it was another time, another situation, another culture. We see this type of different adjustments according to time, place, or circumstance. So I'm saying this in the sense of, and you, I, I know that you understand the idea, we, we cannot just make a full parallel because be, between what Mahaprabhu did and whatever modern situation regarding some system for approval of Guru or whatever. Uh, at the same time, I understand your point, like Guru is not uh, appointed in one sense. <laughs> in one sense, I, I, what, what do I mean with this? In one sense, you are not forced, you shouldn't be forced to be initiated with someone in particular. But at the same time, uh, not necessarily every person will be available for being your Diksha Guru. Because it's, it, it's not that because someone inspires me, that person has to be my Diksha Guru. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Because not everyone will be performing that service, that function. Mm-hmm. follow. So, And we know in many Gaudiya uh, institutions, missions, the, tra- the, the, the tradition is generally to establish a successor acharya, for example. And with this, I'm not saying that's the bad thing, that's the worst thing, but there is an option that has been quite prevalent in our lineage for many generations. So in that in that sense, you can say, if someone is established as the successor acharya, everyone is to be initiated by that person, in that mission at least. Again, nobody's forced to be initiated by that person, but if you want to be initiated in that mission, that's the successor acharya. 
which doesn't mean that nobody else can be your guru in Siksha terms. That's another thing. But but it's important as well to understand because, uh, okay, there, there's one Diksha Guru, as we know. You cannot have more than one Diksha Guru. But there's unlimited number of Siksha Gurus you can have. Of course, this is also not something cheap. Okay, I have unlimited Siksha Guru. I mean, begin with one, no? and let's see, two and three, and gradually develop your capacity to, to find this Cobra Guru everywhere. But my point is, even if you, I don't know, happen to, to join a mission and, and, and are specially inspired by a particular Vaishnav, whoever you know, he or she may be, and for whatever reason that person is not uh, offici- officiating, you say, no, of whatever, serving in the capacity of Diksha Guru, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, because there is a successor Acharya, because the Guru of that person didn't say that to that disciple, or I don't know, it can happen. And it doesn't, but the point is, if some disciple of, of the boat or, or, or the boat is specially inspired by that person, doesn't mean that, okay, that person may not be my Diksha Guru, because that this person is not uh, serving in that capacity, but it doesn't mean that that person cannot be my Guru in any other sense. And it doesn't mean that that person cannot be even my most prominent Guru. That can happen. Some person may have a Diksha Guru, uh, but eventually in time one can find that one Siksha Guru, if, if, if it happens to be a separate person, because generally one's Diksha Guru also is one's main Siksha Guru. But it can happen that also once another Siksha Guru in time becomes the most prominent fig- Guru figure in one's life, even more than one's Diksha Guru. Not because of something bad happened, <laughs> But just Krishna decided to manifest himself through the Guru principle in that way. Even for some time, some time, some period, that can happen. Once someone asked Srila Siddhar Maharaj, who is the most important Guru? The Diksha Guru or the Siksha Guru? <clears throat> Which is kind of a weird question in one sense. Because I mean, Guru in one sense is one. We cannot in one sense separate the two things. There are different functions of the same department, if you will. So even though there are many individuals who may serve as guru at the same time, the guru principle, what we call guru tattva, or sometimes samasti guru, the conglomerate of, of, of the principle of guru, is one. And it expresses through different agents. But we cannot separate these agents in the sense that they all are representing the same agency. Now, it's not that one Diksha Guru and one Siksha Guru are like competing among each other for the disciple or something like this. No, that has nothing to do with the spirit of, of being Guru. So, my point is someone asks you, let's say, so who, who is most important, Diksha Guru or Siksha Guru? I, I say it's a weird question in the sense that the two in one sense are one. So, you cannot really separate and say this is better, this is worse. But at the same time, there is a place for the question regarding the practicality of, of how does it plays out in one's life and someone performing one particular role may be more prominent. Silas Maharaj replied very simply and, and deeply and nicely. He said, the most important guru is that one who is helping you the most. He didn't say Diksha Guru or Siksha Guru. He, that was the, his kind of answers. No? Diksha Guru or Siksha Guru? And he said something else. <laughs> Showing like a higher picture, no? So saying, the one who's helping you the most. Like implying, 
maybe your Siksha Guru at some time is helping you the most and therefore becomes more prominent for you. Maybe at that particular chapter. And in another chapter, your Diksha Guru becomes your most prominent Diksha and Siksha Guru and another. And it's not just like one straight line, everything is idealized and already defined and it's like this and that's all. As Krishna says, as Rupa Goswami says, sorry, Mahari Bhagati Bhavaguti Lavavit. The way love, love moves is like a serpent, like a snake, which means not in a straight line, but in a crooked way. So crooked means unexpected, that's the word? No, unex unexpected. Unexpectable, <coughs> that you cannot like anticipate what's going to happen. But the adjective. Unpredictable. Yeah. Unpredictable. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, love, love moves in an unpredictable way, basically. So, you cannot just anticipate this will happen like this, then we'll move this, it will happen like that. Because connecting with Guru and Parampara means connected with the current of love. So, it, it makes no sense that we as aspiring disciples approach the current of love and, and pretend that everything should be perfect, perfectly like control unexpected and this will happen this and tomorrow and it doesn't work like that so in this way all these different functions can be there so so that on one side and going back uh, more specifically to your question again at that time Mahaprabhu was remember we have to remember he was establishing the Sampradaya I mean he himself in one way he established the Sampradaya by being himself <laughs> and in another way the Goswamis were the really uh if you will, uh, facilitators and to make that Sampradaya take a particular form in the form of temples, deities, books, codes of behavior and functions that each of them were performing in a complementary way. So that time, at that time in Indian society, again, as I mentioned, if someone is to be the guru, it's again a relative consideration, but there's place for that consideration when starting something. It's not that Mahaprabhu was concerned. Oh, I don't want the public opinion to look bad on me. I want everyone to be agree, agree, be agreeable to everyone. He was not having that problem. But at the same time, you want to to establish something in the world, and public opinion on some level may create certain influences or obstacles. So he tried to make these arrangements. Okay, Gopal Bhatta is the person who has this really highly prestigious birth. His father is the head priest of the Rangam, Sri Rangam temples, Sri Sampradaya, very, very pure lineage in terms of blood, if you will, <laughs> and Barnashram consideration, which is a very big issue in India even today. I mean, even today, what to speak, 500 years back. Okay, today is not the great thing, but still there are some scars of Barnashram if you go there. I mean, in some places, strongly even among Gaudias, you know, I remember. One brother of mine told me that some time back he went to visit one Gaudiya temple in, in Radha Kunda. And, and again, Gaudiya's apparent, supposedly Gaudiya will say, Sarvadharma Paritya we don't care for <laughs> social considerations and birth, and, and Vaishnavas are beyond uh, bar, uh, yeah, Barn and Ashram and all this stuff. But he went and, and they were about to take Prashad and said, there, there are the plates. So he went and said, Malecha plates or non-Malecha plates? No? <laughs> so he was, okay, <laughs> maybe I should fast today. 
like he was shocked a little bit because he was like, I mean, it's supposed that if we really embrace bhakti, as uh, proportionately as, as as we embrace bhakti, we are beyond uh, these considerations of barnashram or, or non barnashram even, being born outside of the system. But sometimes it's really a very heavy, what Bhakti Nautaku will say, how is this? Cultural, like, baggage. Cultural baggage, you say, like burden. You know? Like sometimes, even subconsciously, you are caring by being born in India, by having certain DNA in the psyche and society. And so if that's still prevalent in some sections nowadays, and that's still prevalent, I can tell you, regarding whatever, being Brahmin or being a woman or being this and being that, especially in our tradition, Gaudias, we really strongly emphasize totally dismissal of Barnashram in one sense. I feel not totally. I'm not saying that's useless, but the point is... Uh, the more you embrace bhakti, I mean, Barnashram for us as Gaudis basically has to do with become a balanced human being in the world and, 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 and act and work according to your nature and be a functional entity and society. But that foundation is helpful for you to project in bhakti, basically. It's not that Barnashram goes beyond that. It's just so you can be properly situated in the world in such a way that you can engage everything in bhakti. So, in India, there's a very strong... I mean, whenever we hear about Barnashram, we may not have very much clue about that because we, are, we were not born in a Barnashram society. For us, that's, it's, it's non-existent, basically. I mean, we, we were, I mean, we were born malechas, according to this consideration. <laughs> but in one sense, for us as Gaudias, in one point, being born in that situation may be advantageous, I will say, because there is not that particular burden of Barnashram that sometimes is really conditioning for for some Hindus. I mean, when you read the, our Shastras and this heavy emphasis in Barnashram and how not to how to transcend that and Barnashram this and Barnashram that, I well, may wonder why do they speak so much about Barnashram and Karma Kanda and all this stuff, ritual and society? Because that was the the norm at the time. So for us, it's just like we don't have a clue about that in this lifetime. So that's in one sense, okay, one one burden, one less, one burden less to deal with, basically. No? So, but at that time when Mahaprabhu was starting the Gaudiya Sampradaya, I mean, this was very, very prevalent, very prominent. So, Brahmin, I mean, a guru, at those times, guru has to be Brahmin. And, and, and there is a place for that in one level, of course, no? because Brahmins are also in, in the societal no. unfolding Brahmins are the teachers of society as you as you already know and so on so generally the guru fits with that role and is a teacher for the rest and so on So there there is some common sense in that as well Sanatan Goswami himself if you study you can ask Brigupad in more detail he's working on, on publishing a critical edition of the Hari Bhakti Vilas and the Hari Bhakti Vilas is a very interesting book because it's it's almost one of the first books of the Sampradaya written by by Sanatan Goswami, and it's full of relative details. Full, I mean, there are parts that are not relative, but there are many social considerations and Barna Ashram, you know, how to do things according to if you were born in this family, in this family, and some parts he mentions things like. Okay, guru should be ideally Brahmin. 
because again basically because the notion of guru also has to do not only with with purity and adhikar because you can be a pure devotee and you are not a guru I mean that can happen there's a lot of great devotees who it's not that because you are a devotee you are and, and this is important point I will say being, being a guru doesn't mean just okay he's a pure devotee so he, he should be guru being a guru also has to do with being a teacher so being a teacher requires having a certain nature for that if, even if you want to call that side like a relative thing it has to be there ideally so a teacher is someone who has some nature to teach basically and, and, and those are the brahmins in, in, in the social social barnashram consideration it doesn't mean that the kshatriya arjuna can is not a pure devotee because he's a kshatriya or something we are not we have we shouldn't mix that i mean most of the brajavasis all the brajavasis basically with the exception of, of madhumangal and some some other fake brahmins or something <laughs> most are vaisyas no? and they are our highest prospect in, in bhakti so they are not brahmins basically no? but they are our gurus in so many ways but in, in the in the sense of how the function of the guru unfolds practically in society generally some nature is, is expected from that person to be a teacher basically to have to know how to deliver the teaching because and, and I think that's, although that may be relative, relative in the sense that you can have the, you can have a great capacity of being a teacher and you can be, you cannot be a pure devotee maybe. And you can be a pure devotee and don't have teaching skills, if you will. You, you may not know how to write or, or like Gorkishore Das Babaji, for example. How do, you, how do you speak when someone doesn't? Illiterate. Illiterate. So we have an illiterate in our parampara. But again, I'm not saying that like, oh, he's illiterate. But <laughs> and he was the guru of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. Instead, he himself will say that Bhaktivinoda Thakur, I mean, there are many reasons we can mention, but Bhaktivinoda Thakur was the one who suggested Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, you go and take Diksha from Gorkishore Das Babaji. Because interestingly, the main guru for Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was Bhaktivinoda Thakur, all his life, his father, main guru figure. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, and Bhaktisiddhanta was a great scholar from birth, a Brahmin, uh, if you will, born in a very like respected environment, all these Brahminical qualities adorning him. Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, go and take initiation from an illiterate, who was not born in a Brahmin family, who had none of this, but who was Uttam Mahabhagavat, Paramahamsa, all this. So, Bhaktisiddhanta will say also, I, I know that my my father, Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur, also sent me there, not only because of the Adhikar of, of Gorky Shortas Babaji, because also I was put to test there. Let's see if my Panditji sensibilities won me over, or I was willing to put them aside and, under, and recognize, okay, he may not be the, the standard guru figure, that I will think that will perfectly fit for me, who am, have this qual but he's a pure devotee. So sometimes this point is emphasized. No? The, the main issue, of course, is that the guru is not just a good teacher. You can have so many professional good teachers, professional gurus, <laughs> and that's not the essence of being a guru. But again, there is place 
for <laughs> a guru to, to have certain Brahminical background in order to perform the, that particular function. And Mahaprabhu considered that while establishing his sampradaya in, in the figure of Bhupal Bhatta Goswami. And I think, again, that's also an important point because sometimes devotees may like mis, mis, misconstrue what is to be expected from a guru. And in one, se in one sense, what we are to expect from a guru, <clears throat> sometimes we may be like drawn towards more external things, like the person has to be charismatic or has to sing nicely or, or whatever, no? And not necessarily, or has to be my psychologist and my financial advisor and my whatever. He has to get me a wife if I need it or something and I mean he may help with that she may help with that but not necessarily I mean it's not the role of the guru to engage in all these things but the role of the guru is to teach Shastra to the disciple by precept and by example so again by emphasizing guru should be Brahmin in one sense the emphasis is also guru should be have proper teaching disposition because what is to be expected from the Guru is learning Shastra. Because sometimes, again, some disciples may go to the Guru with another idea in mind. Not interested in Shastra, not interested in learning, not interested in, in whatever is required to be a disciple. So also I think that's point, that point is valid, to, to make certain emphasis on, on that Brahminical disposition in connection to what a disciple should expect from the Guru and vice versa. It's, it's, a, it's a teacher student relationship basically of course not an ordinary one <laughs> but still that dynamics those dynamics are there teaching teacher student teacher student there is certain body of knowledge certain education implied there and of course service and so many other things so i will say that also that's part why mahaprabhu suggested or asked Kupal Bhatta, you became the Diksha Guru. No, that, that, your background as a Brahmin, as an ideal teacher, basically, will perfectly fit with the necessity of the time while establishing the Sampradaya and give some like prestige, if you will, in the eyes of the public for you to do to do that role. So that on one side, on that on those times, no, and of course going to to our present times here. For one thing, is India. One here, one thing is not not India, but still, India is much more. I mean, totally Westernized, if you will, in comparison to five hundred years back. <clears throat> so, uh, again, nowadays I will say it's a different situation, but still, on some level, the principle applies. It's still, someone who is a guru, ideally. At least that's the rule, therefore there can always be always exceptions to the rule, but ideally a, a guru should be a Brahminically disposed, if you will, you know, have this tendency towards teaching by example, by precept, because sometimes if not, and I have seen that, certain guru figures or, or leaders, sannyasa, whatever, may become extremely, uh, how to say, involved in managerial issues and, and, and see their their own status as teachers being compromised in the eyes of the public. No? Because again, uh, a teacher requires... I remember my, my Guru Maharaj told me some years back, and I, it's in, in this line, and he told me... Uh, <clears throat> we were speaking, he told me, 
I want you to <laughs> to read, write, chant and preach. Nothing else. Nothing more than that. And of course it can sound like oh only that. No. But it's not easy to only do that. <laughs> But his point, of course, with this I'm not saying if you need to clean the bathroom, I'm willing to do so. It's not that, no, no, my Guru Maharaj only told me that. <laughs> but the the point he was wanted to make, and he told that this, no, you, and it's, it, it can be relative in one, of course, in one level, and it's okay, and it's a place for that. You are a sannyasi, and ideally sannyasi has a role to perform. For some reason you accept sannyasi, basically. It doesn't mean that you are higher than others who are not sannyasi, but some role is expected from that particular figure. So sannyasi is expected to be uh, a, 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 how say, a reference for others in certain aspects of the practice and the teaching, and ideally is an uncompromised person who won't be like biased towards certain interests and this and that. So that person should remain always in an impartial uh, platform, if you will. And because of that, it's better not to get overtly involved with managerial issues and money and decisions that may affect how others see that person and, and that may uh, like <clears throat> how say create an obstacle in them taking advantage of whatever sannyasi has to offer and, and vice versa it can be also a disturbance for the sannyasi <laughs> So again, in one sense, one may say that's relative in one point. We are not speaking about the adhikar of the practitioner, but at the same time, there are these are social dynamics, community dynamics that are, are to be considered, and, and, and they create certain effects. So, <clears throat> so regarding nowadays how this works, of course, there is no, again, fixed rule, the guru should be like this, or... Of course, there is some adhikar, something expected from someone being a guru. Not anyone can be guru. That's not a joke. And there are types of gurus, as we mentioned. And as I mentioned at the beginning, one should not... Uh, how to say? Not everyone will be guru. And if someone is inspired with someone, not necessarily that person will be guru. But at the same time, nobody can be like forced to accept someone as guru. But at the same time, <laughs> let's say you, you join an institution with, 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 which works with, with this Acharya successor Acharya system. So if you choose to join certain institution that works like this, you are choosing that whoever will be the Acharya will be the Guru for whoever gets there. I mean, and there's place for that also. Again, I'm not saying that's, that's totally wrong. You know? Each case is, is, is unique. Mm -hmm. But the important thing is that faith is not, um, how to say, <clears throat> manipulated or, or forced or in, in any particular, in one direction or the other. No, not in the direction of the disciple, nor in the direction of the guru even. No? I mean, someone may be officiating as guru, it doesn't mean that he or she is forced to accept anyone. I mean, the guru is not, can choose also. <laughs> Sanatana Goswami himself mentioned that before accepting a guru, and before accepting a disciple, <laughs> the disciple and the guru had to test each other for one year. Test each other doesn't mean I distrust you and I will put to test and will put hidden cameras to see what you are doing or whatever. But basically, they had to know each other. I mean, know each other means test each other. 
It doesn't mean that you have to put some hidden obstacles and see if he falls and becomes tempted or not. It's just, let's get to know each other in, in detail, in intimacy for a year. For sure there will be tests. <laughs> and let's see how much the two of us are willing to together pass those tests. Because in the two directions, something will, will happen. Not because something wrong is there, just because the nature of any relationship is tests will come. <laughs> And both parties will be put to test how much are you willing to continue like a marriage, for example. In one sense, guru-disciple is, is like a marriage, in one sense. And the two of them are like signing a contract, if you will. And, and the two of them know there will be situations and tests. And will, again, it's a different nature of relationship, but in one sense there is this type of double commitment, if you will. So, but again, if, if a disciple... Is not feeling inspired in that direction, he cannot, she cannot be forced to, to accept that particular guru. And if the guru, for any reason, considers, I, I, I won't initiate this person, he, she cannot be forced to do so. If he, she, if both parties have good reasons for that. So, so something like this. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Beyond kind of unpack some other ideas yeah. but, but but yeah I wouldn't say we kind of make like a full parallel huh, between right. Mahaprabhu's choice of Gopal Bhatta Goswami and yeah. modern day dynamics of guru disciple especially in the west there's right. like two worlds apart yeah. but at the same time I think there are ele common elements that still are as we mentioned applicable no, in connection to the consideration of the nature of the guru and the the teaching side and, and, and so on. But yeah, the conclusion is, as, as my Guru Maharaj will say, faith is our deity, it's not our doormat. Hmm. So we are to honor faith. However, uh, whichever form it takes to be honored properly. That's my idea. That's idea. No? So, faith is to be properly nourished and honored. That's the idea. No? So, that's the principle, if you will. Then how that it applies to any particular circumstance, it may take unlimited forms. But the principle should, should remain the same. Faith is to be honored. So if the shroud of a particular aspirant, aspirant will be nourished in a particular way, all the measurements should be taken so that shroud is being nourished properly. And if the shroud of another aspirant will be nourished in a particular way, that's necessary. Okay, everything will be done. That's it. Like we were speaking the other day. I don't think I don't think with Namras. I don't remember already. Well, too many talks. <laughs> but basically, the idea was, I don't know. For example, I, I'm temple president in, in one ashram, and there is one one devotee who is very, like, co a great contributor to the ashram in terms of I don't know, fixing things, and there. <laughs> And 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 the, and the rooftop of the temple is just about to collapse, no? So that devotee is crucial to to keep the temple uh, alive, basically, <laughs> in physical terms. But at the same time, that devotee is finding special inspiration with another sadhu in another place, and that inspiration is real, is genuine. It's not like a weird thing that shouldn't be happening. It's the best thing that that should be happening, and that person needs that. Um, and, and for some reason, he's having some conflict and is staying in a situation when, when he doesn't feel his faith nourished and, and, and he's experiencing even some faith crisis and some, 
feeling some possible danger of what will happen with me and so and, and you as a temple president have this choice no? go to your sadhu and nourish your shraddha and let the whole temple collapse <laughs> no, I will lose the whole temple but I won't lose you because losing you means you lose your shraddha it's not that you are mine or I keep you, you fix the temple everything is nice but your heart is totally destroyed and your shraddha was totally gone so the question is which choice you will take <laughs> and unfortunately I know that some people for some relative interest and, and I'm not demonizing them sometimes I know this being a manager is not that easy as well <laughs> I've been there and there are so many necessities and someone has to do this and someone has to do that and who will do, who will do but sometimes in the name of attending those necessities we may lose sight of the, the real necessity which is how each one's strata is being nourished and, and sometimes for strata to be nourished sometimes, not always, but I'm giving one example some of these cases may come and you may have to choose no, no, please, go to that place where your strata will be nourished and if the whole roof collapses and the temple falls down that's secondary the important thing is that because the whole purpose of having a temple is to have your strata nourished <laughs> you follow I mean, yeah, if I open an ashram is so people can come and nourish their strata so the opening of the ashram or the main keeping of the ashram takes the form of your strata starts to collapse <laughs> the, the ashram stops having its, its original function so so that's my point with strata is to be as our deity and not our dormant so sometimes in some cases different adjustments have to be made but the always the main principle is let your shraddha grow, let your faith in bhakti grow. If you remain in our temple, in our mission, <laughs> in our sampradaya, or maybe not. Some cases can take so many unexpected forms, you know, so unpredictable, unpredictable forms. And it's no problem. If the person is really nourishing its shraddha, you are not losing anyone, not losing anything. Because you follow the idea, no? yes, so, yeah. so that, that, that's mainly the point. No? Like, I remember, for example, <laughs> once one very surrendered devotee left his body, and some devotees were like lamenting, Oh, we lose, lose, no, lose, that's the past, we lost. lost, sorry, we lost such an important contributor member in our community, and, and, and they were more like lamenting in terms of. <laughs> what are they no longer receiving from him in this in this but the point is if he was really such an important contributor and great practitioner there's no loss I mean there's no loss because whatever that person is now is what that person should be going now and it's ideal we should be going that direction as well <laughs> and for for sure that person is making his contribution wherever he is now and what and and, and, and and there's no loss. It's gain, actually. I mean, that the, the fact that he left and went in that direction totally justifies everything we are trying to do here. I mean, gives real meaning to having a national, having a community. The idea of that is that people live their life in such a way that when they pass away, no, they be, they become upgraded <laughs> in their prospect. And I mean, we there's no loss actually. So we shouldn't be like calculating. Oh, who will fix the, the rooftop now? He he went to Golok Vrindavan. <laughs> <laughs>
something like that. No, no, we should be celebrating, basically. Oh, he went to Kolokbrinda. Who will fix the roof? We won't say that. I mean, that's totally secondary. Now we have to celebrate this moment. And we should understand, I have this necessity of service here, fixing the roof. But in Kolokbrindavan, you don't have a clue how much necessity of service is there. I mean, there you have to speak in terms of necessity of service. That's the real thing. <laughs> In terms of necessity, so much need of services there, much more than we can expect here. So if someone is being promoted there, for sure, will be pretty much engaged and giving his her contributions. So, yeah, nothing to lament, basically. <laughs> All to celebrate. Okay, it was a short question, but generally the <laughs> short questions are the ones that invoke the longer answer, longest answer. What else? Any other questions from the ones? Connect present here, the ones connected online as well, some others are, are present there as well. <coughs> yes? Uh, there is so much emphasis on cow protection in the Shastra, but we are not doing it so much nowadays. Is it something that we should consider to be as hard as Varnas from Dharma and like, like not forget it but not strive to it too much? Or is it like... Srila Prabhupada, he was saying that we can offer any milk to Krishna because Krishna loves milk. Mm -hmm. But he was also emphasizing so much that we need to protect the cows. So can it be like some kind of logical strata that we think that we can just go on forever offering him some milk? Although Sastra says that cows need to be protected. And Krishna is a cowherd and he loves cows, mm -hmm. maybe more than milk. Mm -hmm. So is it like... How do you see the thing? That can we just keep on offering him some milk without really making the effort to protect the cows? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like, mm. they are suffering so much and Krishna loves cows, mm -hmm. <laughs> not only milk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, of course, uh, when we speak about what regarding ingredients, what Krishna likes, what's Krishna's diet based on... <laughs> Krishna himself says in the Gita, Patram Pushpam Palantuyam Jumi Bhaktya Prayajati Tadaham Bhakti Upahritam Ashnami Prayatatmana So here, there he says, no? Leaf, flower, fruit, water, offered, whatever, but please with Bhakti. And twice he says with Bhakti in the verse. Like in playing, this is what makes my stomach, like, <laughs> burn a little bit, like makes them, I'm hungry, you know, when Bhakti is there. So it's not so much about offering, as you say, milk products and Krishna is necessarily pleased by offering milk products. He's pleased when there is bhakti, basically, no? I mean, to, to, to only take milk, as we find the famous example of this Brahmin who only took milk forever, basically. <laughs> and, and he wanted to enter the kirtan of, of Mahaprabhu in Sri Basangam, and, 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 and he thought, I only drink milk. I mean, that's totally sattvic, that's totally pure from a um, Barnashram perspective, if you will, from a social, moral, Vedic perspective. I mean, you only drink milk, you cannot be purer than that, in those terms. And Mahaprabhu said, this is not <laughs> the type of purity that is required to enter in my kirtan. Uh, so the point he was making, of course, is we are concerned about spiritual purity, not necessarily material purity, so that on one side, 
But of course, when you speak about goraksha or, or cow protection, that's for sure not just a merely material thing or taking care of animals. I mean, a devotee in, in general should be compassionate towards everyone. Jivadai, Krishna now, Sarva Dharma Sar. The essence of all Dharma is to be compassionate to all living entities. But as you mentioned, also there is a special focus on cow, go seva. This, this is actually bhakti. This is mentioned by Rupa Goswami in his list of 64 angas of bhakti. One of them is go seva, protection of cow. So that's a special, special emphasis put there. And of course, why? Well, our goddess, that's the business of our deity, basically. <laughs> no. What does Krishna What's Krishna's job? <laughs> Cow protection, basically. So if we want to enter into into the into the world, into his psychology, into the psychology of being a, a cowherd, cowherd boy, cowherd girl. I mean, everyone in Brindavan is a cowherd. Basically, everyone has this DNA, and of course, big part of of being a, a Brajavasi has to do with this: to enter into the the dynamics of being a a cow protector. I mean, everything surrounds around cows. And as my Guru Maharaj likes to, to say, uh, what does it mean cow also? Uh, to not become just uh, like overtly attached to the idea. Go. Go means cows. And, and we speak in terms of go vinda, go loka, no, go, go, go. I mean, we want to go to the plant of go, the plant of the cows, basically. And the cows are givers. He makes this important point, which is the cows are givers. They are taking grass, which is something that for us is we cannot do that much with that. And they transform that, of course, in milk. And through the milk, so many things can come. And they are given, giving, giving. It is say that even when the cow is, is dying naturally, <laughs> the cow will give her own, how to say, skin. And you can make the how do you say, the heads of the Muridanga with that, in a natural way, again, no, I'm not promoting here necessary violence, but the, the idea here is, even when dying, in the, the cow is still giving, and, and, and with, the, with, with that, Harikirtan can be performed. No? So, also the idea is, if you want to enter the planets of cows, means you have to enter the planets of givers, so you have to become yourself a giver. So that's an important point to, to consider. Protecting cows means becoming like a cow, becoming cow-like. <laughs> so again, our goal is not to become a cow in Golovrindavan, literally, but become a cowherd boy, cowherd girl. Not a cow, but the word cow is still in your designation. <laughs> you are a cowherd boy, cowherd girl. You are a go pa, a go pi. Some go is there. <laughs> if you are too much time with cows, you become like a cow. Not in a, in a pejorative sense, but in the again giving sense, giver sense. So yeah, this goraksha is is important. Is is something that, as you mentioned, not Sila Prabhupada, not only Sila Prabhupada, but again Rupa Goswami is emphasizing from the day one of our sampradaya. This is one aspect of our sadhana bhakti. Again, how much one can do that, I know that it may not be uh, possible for every single person to directly engage in that, but it's possible for everyone to somehow or other support those who are engaged in that. And for example, 
uh, my Guru Maharaj also he he's very fond of of Go Seva and Go Raksha protection of cows and in, in his ashrams he has cows and he has his disciples here at Yamananda can share testimony of years of being a cowherd boy <laughs> on a daily basis for how long? Six years. Six years. So you know, uh, I mean, I have not had that standard like him, but I have been engaged in some gosebo here and there. And, and, and as my guru tells also, it's 24-7, no? because you feed the cow, and then you have to go and pick the dung. You pick the dung, you have to go and feed the cow. And you have to clean the urine, and you have to milk them, and you have to... I mean, whenever you finish something, there is something else you have to do. And there, so naturally, you are engaged constantly in that. So that that's also gives us a glimpse of the dynamics of Golok. You want to enter Golok, that's 24-7. Surrender, Seva, pleasing Seva, like the cows themselves are doing. So, so again, he has some cows in his ashrams, but again, not everyone lives in the ashram. So not everyone has time to be a cowherd boy and cowherd girl. <laughs> But everyone is invited to support the the service, to support the, the devotees there have a patron, right, account. The cows have a patron account, even though they do not know that. But there's <laughs> a patron account, so devotees, members of the community, can like give whatever, a monthly dollar to go seva. So that's a way of support. I mean, my point is not necessarily... You have to be living there, and I mean that's beautiful and nice. But to be realistic in nowadays society, not everyone can do that. So also, I I think this point because again, if we were we were living in a I don't know, society five hundred years back, what having living in the countryside, having a cow in India, that was like more like the norm. Every family had their their cow there, and it was part of the family and the dynamics. But now we are in a whatever, postmodern industrial society in the Western world, and it's, it's not impossible, as we know, there, there are farms and there are cows and devotees living there, and, and it's important to, for me to, to emphasize that lifestyle, but at the same time, we should do it in, in, a, in a tactful way, not to discourage anyone, no? because sometimes in the name of, this is important, <laughs> you may end up like making others feel so if you are not doing this, you are not important. Or only the ones who are doing this are engaged in the real thing. And and it's not necessarily like that. Because as much as we can emphasize God's seva, we, can all, we could also I mean, emphasize so many other forms of seva. And there's place for that also. And some devotees may feel a particular affinity or inspiration and Krishna himself will make that arrangements and the devotees will be really, I don't know, empowered to focus and, and, and engage and engage others in Goseva. Some others will be similarly empowered and engaged in spreading holy name Hari Kirtan. Some others will empower and engage in wash cleaning pots. <laughs> I mean we need empowerment in so many directions. <laughs> and Krishna may make those arrangements and we have to be careful not to like to walk over those different affinities that all of them are complementary and necessary. So yeah, Go Seva is, is important and it's nice to somehow or other be connected with that in one form or another. But at the same time I would say uh, 
not necessarily everyone will be engaged in that. I and mean, that's a practical reality. We see that's not happening. But yes, it's nice, as you mentioned, to somehow or other be connected with support, supporting that in some way and understanding how much this is not just like a whimsical thing. No, oh, let's protect the cows. No? Because someone will say, well, why only the cows? No? Why not the whales and the monkeys here and the parrots uh, that are about to be extinct in Africa? Who knows? <laughs> and of course, again, we are not against other types of protection, but in, in our particular tradition as Gaudias, the protection of cows takes this form because we project to eternally enter into a realm where we will be doing that for eternity, basically. So that's a, a, a good way to to start entering into the motions. If motions, you say? No. I mean, if you want to be a cowherd boy, cowherd girl for the rest of forever, <laughs> it's interesting that as a sadaka you start to to enter into that because you fall if if in the, if this lifetime you don't have a clue about that and you may even say I don't like that at all but at the same time you're saying but I would like to go there I would say, but you will be doing <laughs> this forever <laughs> of course in the context of prem and so many other ingredients that may not be here now but at the same time it's important to kind of start to more and more connect where we are now who we are now and who we want to be for eternity in the context of, of Raga Nuga Bhakti, which is following the footsteps of, of the Brajavasis, what the Brajavasis is ab are about. Was the, I mean, the more you, you study the Lila, you start to get in touch to know Krishna as, as, as he is, basically. You know? And he, he considers himself Amigopa, Amibaisya. That's his Abhiman, that's his sense of being. I have my duties with the cows, and I have my this, and and, and it's nice to enter into all these like cultural sensibilities of the lila, because unless you fully embrace that and you, in one sense, become one with that, you won't enter there. <laughs> I mean, you will enter there, as we were speaking today, only when you are really totally passionately attracted to be one of them. No? If you don't have that attraction, nobody will force you to enter there. No? Krishna is not that cruel. <laughs> no, if at the end of this lifetime you are not desperate for being one member of, of the Lila and serving there, nobody will force you to enter there because it doesn't work like that. I mean, nobody's there like a paid servant or a forced, no, gopa or gopi. Why you are here? Well, I don't know. Krishna made me enter here. With, no, something. Like that. It's not like that. No? So, <clears throat> and it's a gradual process for sure. No, we cannot force that, but. We have to begin somewhere, so it's important to at least open ourselves to the possibility of this go-seva, this reality of, of connection with cows, start to become part of our lives on some level, in some degree, and, and, and gradually allow that portal to open more and more, till one day you will find yourself, again, doing that for eternity. <laughs> So better we, we, we develop a taste for that in some way or another. No? So, so I will say that. No? In one side, it's really important and crucial, but this, at the same time, there are so many other things that are important and crucial, and therefore we have to know how to deal with all the things. Now, for example, you mentioned Srila Prabhupada, and one may say, well, for Prabhupada, 
I remember I read recently some compilation, some devotee made, I don't remember who, maybe Hari Purisad or someone, like, the most important thing for Srila Prabhupada. So someone may say, oh, what will he say? But actually it's a compilation of hundreds and hundreds of things, all of them different, <laughs> that Prabhupada said at different times, this is the most important thing, this is the most important thing, this is the most important thing. So in one sense you will conclude all of the things are the most important things and at the same time you will conclude he was speaking to different devotees in different instances, emphasizing something in particular. Ultimately the most important thing is you have to become a pure devotee of Krishna. And of course that's the most difficult thing. <laughs> like one, I remember once one devotee asked his Guru Guru Dev, What's the, what's this, what service can I offer you that will please you the most? And he replied, become pure devotee, please. That was the reply. No. <laughs> so he didn't say, watch the pots and be, bring a donation. No, but develop Prem Bhakti. That's, that's the most important thing. So the point is, whatever it helps us to develop this Prem Bhakti in our particular situation, be that Goseva, Harinam, whatever department of service or many of them that's the most important thing for each of us but of course at the same time I don't know even if someone may not be engaged directly in Goseva it doesn't mean that you will totally like dismiss that department if you will you will develop an appreciation of all the things that are so crucial and important and complementary so that, that's the thing no? I mean we may have a nature and certain inspiration, but we should be respectful for all those other things that are nourishing the faith of each other. Again, Strata is to be worshipped by us. <laughs> so, so that's inspiring. You may meet some devotee who is dedicating all his life to cow protection, and you will, you may not be inspired to do the same thing yourself, but it doesn't mean that you won't be inspired by that. You may not imitate that and do the same thing, but you might, you can really draw deep inspiration and apply that inspiration in whatever you are doing as your seva to your guru and, and so on so <clears throat> but yeah someone should be doing covering that how to say base <laughs> because it's, it's a very crucial one and those who are not practically doing that at least in theory there should be appreciating that supporting that and, and connecting all this with our ultimate attainment in the lila so that's an important thing in the context of Raghavati. Some thoughts, I hope that helps. <clears throat> we have some minutes. Brigopal is not here. Sakirati, <laughs> 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 yes. There was a question in the Facebook comment. Oh, let me see. I have it open. A question by Jennifer Thurman. Yeah, that's the only one I'm seeing here. Yeah. Okay, that's connected to the first question made by Devavan. So, this is a classical question, so it's valid one. It's saying, I mean, every question is valid, but I mean, this is a, <laughs> a classical question, which means it's normally something that comes at one point. She's asking, is there a formality with accepting a Siksha Guru? That's a classical question, right? <laughs> Some of the present ones here just presented a question quite recently. Should you ask for this relationship or can it be in the individual's mind only? 
So this is Jennifer Thurman or Sakyarat? No, it's Jennifer <laughs> Thurman. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's an interesting point because again, as we mentioned, Siksha Guru. I mean, in one sense, Siksha and Diksha are two functions of the same department, Guru department, Guru Tattva. You know, Krishna Das Kaviraswami Krishna and, and Chaitanya Charitamrita he makes it point. You no, know, like, like the Diksha Guru is connected with. Um, Radha Madan Mohan and Sambanda and then the Siksha Guru is connected with Govinda Dev and Abhideya and my point here is what's the difference between Madan Mohan and Govinda I mean they are the same person <laughs> they are Krishna <laughs> of course they are different departments but we are speaking about the same person so when you say Siksha Diksha we are speaking about the same principle but different functions of that again a Diksha Guru may be Siksha probably will be the most prominent Siksha Guru for the life of the disciple also. But it happens that also there can be another Siksha Guru, or another Siksha Gurus. The Bhagavatam says, Nahiye Kashmat Guru Gyanam Sustiram Setsupushkalam Ramaita Dvitiyam Bhai Gyati Bahudarishvi. The 11th canto to say, Since the Absolute Truth is unlimited, it's like a multifaceted jewel that can be addressed and appreciated from so many different directions, you won't receive full, complete knowledge by one single guru. Therefore, there is place for having many gurus. Of course, this is not just a cheap thing. Okay, I will have many gurus and learn from everywhere. Because again, the idea of having gurus in plural implies committing myself to each one of them. Because if I'm not committed in a relationship, how much he or she is a guru and how much I am a disciple and a student... So, <clears throat> with this I'm starting to answer the question. Of course, we will say, we could say, there are two degrees of conceiving this, as I remember Shamananda made that point as well, which was important some days back, uh, that you can conceive the idea of Siksha Guru in a more, like, committed way, <laughs> or in a more, like, non -so not so committed way. <laughs> so someone may say, okay, especially nowadays, Social media, COVID dynamics, not me meeting people personally and knowing lots of people online <laughs> and never get to meet the person in person. <laughs> so you may know Nesadu and hear a lecture and think, oh, that's inspiring. I like that Harikata, that, that Sadhu is creating some particular, that Sadhu Sadhu is creating some particular uh, nourishing in my faith. So I accept that person as my Siksha Guru. In my mind, like here the questions. I'm I'm not condemning that. I'm not criticizing that. It's it's, it's like a natural, maybe reaction. Oh, I feel, I I would like to establish that person as a reference role to follow in my life. So, maybe the person has no idea about that. The other person, <laughs> I will never have that can happen, and it doesn't mean that. I mean the fact that you are doing that, it's it can be a healthy thing. I'm not saying that's wrong and it has no no result it, it has but also i will like to emphasize the more committed situation which means as much as i can if someone i mean if, if you are hearing karikata from a sadhu that sadhu really is touching your heart in a very unique way i mean in a way that you feel like like my guru Maharaj uses to invoke this american song which is like, killing, me killing me softly 
No, I, I don't know too much the song in my case, but uh, the, the whole idea of the song it seems that someone is, you are hearing someone singing a song and that person is narrating your own life through their song. Mm -hmm. no? So you are hearing a song, but at one point you realize, my gosh, man, I am being totally naked <laughs> by that song. That person is describing my own self better than what I my, me myself could do with myself. So. Who is that person? How can he know me so much? You go and slap Rupa Goswami Mahaprabhu did. How can you know me that much? <laughs> but that's what happens when you meet the Guru. Guru means like facing this divine principle of revelation that, that really starts to show you in a way that you never saw yourself before. And as we mentioned the other day, the Guru has the capacity of speaking to your, your to your own potential, to your ultimate potential. That's what makes this deep connection with when hearing Sri Guru. Now that you are hearing that discourse and you feel that those words are, are going straight to all that I can be. Mm. Through those words I'm hearing not only identify with who I am now, but especially that discourse is really shedding light on my brightest prospect. And that's really me. And, and that's the impact that you receive in Sadhu Sangha, that you hear all that and you start, that may be an existential crisis in one point, because <laughs> you may go to, to Sadhu Sangha and Karikata with certain idea of yourself, <laughs> and you see that defeat of the Sadhu, when the Sadhu starts like to, very lovingly and beautifully, like to take all these upadis, one after another, all the things that you are identified with, this designation you think you are, and but doesn't throw you there like in a full like paranoia who I am now, but it starts to shed like all that you can be, all that you can be, and, and in a way that you can relate with that prospect and that potential and develop like full faith and hope. Yes, I, I'm willing to <laughs> to leave aside all that I think I am for the sake of all that I can be. I receive so much impetus for that. So that's a whole experience that has to do when when hearing a guru. So. My point with this is, if you have such an experience with someone, and let's say that person won't be your Diksha Guru, because for any reason, because the question here is with Siksha Guru, but that person is really touching your heart, and you want that person to be your Siksha Guru, at one point you will want to formalize that. Formal, formalize, I do not mean certain rituals and things but 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 you want to approach the person basically <laughs> formalized means you touch my heart uh, you inspire me so much i would like to establish a more official con i want you to know me i would like to know you more i would like to serve you in some way how can i reciprocate with all the things i'm receiving from you and of course it's a relationship that is will be established and in, in time both parts will know each other and Again, some other form of marriage there. <laughs> and that's nice. That's my point. So, in, in my personal case, I will tend to emphasize Siksha Guru connection in, in those terms, ideally. At, at least, again, that won't happen in day one. I mean, you can hear a sadhu and be inspired, and it's not that you are forced to formalize or something like this. But naturally, the relationship should evolve in that direction, basically. Like, if you get to know a person... It's not that the second day you are marrying each other. No, first you know each other and you start to get along and know each other and speak and 
and you get married eventually and, and the relationship doesn't stop there either. No. <laughs> That's in another sense the beginning of the whole thing also, another beginning. So so I will say the same thing here. Uh, of course, uh, yeah. So if you feel inspired with, with some sadhu, and the inspiration is real, in one sense, it's not that you have to ask permission for being inspired, you are already inspired. <laughs> so the person, in one sense, cannot say no. <laughs> so the Samras will speak about the, how was the word he used? The trap. The trap for, for catching the guru or something, you no? Know, because the gurus, the sadhu spoke harikata or whatever, and, and you became touched by that, so you will go to the soul and say, well, you say those things that touch home, now, how this continues? No, I mean, I, I, I'm captured by you, and somehow you are captured by me. <laughs> you know, by love, again, not like a fourth thing. But again, if a sadhu is sharing harikata, the risk is there, in, in the good sense of the term. The risk that some people will say, you inspire me too much, <laughs> and I want to follow you. No, so that's what to do now. No, that's committing. That's a commitment. It's not a joke. It's not just oh, let's pick something and that's life goes on as usual. No, that way that will create some may create some dramatic changes in our life. And, and we, some people may be so touched that you will feel I want to give my whole life in that direction. So that's not a joke. So that requires some some time and development. So, so in, in that sense, and, but again, if somehow you you met some person, or you never met a person, but you read about some person, you saw a video, and you were inspired, and you, for any reason you cannot meet the person, that can happen, it doesn't mean that that person cannot be your Siksha Guru, no? it doesn't mean that, oh, I cannot learn, I cannot be nourished, but it will be from another side. But I personally feel it's nice to have Siksha Gurus with whom you can really connect closely, and, and, and make yourself known to them. Because even in some cases, or many cases, one's connection with one's Diksha Guru, sometimes, for any reason, for because of the Guru is too, too busy with many things and so on, there may not be too much time to really get to know each other on a daily basis and sharing uncertain, which is okay, it doesn't have to be a problem. But it's nice that one can have that experience in a complementary way with some other sadhus, and all this put together is really... Sure, nourishing our, our faith so but again we should be willing to expose ourselves to that experience because it's a voluntary act it's not that the Siksha Guru will say I'm your Siksha Guru make yourself known to me reveal your mind in confidence and that's not in confidence <laughs> you are forcing me so but the, the point is ideally that should happen in our life with someone be, be Diksha Guru Siksha Guru but we need to, how to say, to, to, yeah, to expose ourselves in a healthy way. Expose doesn't mean like you have to confess all these dirty things you are doing and think it's not like this. But just like, I'm willing to, yeah, to be seen by the gland, the, 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 the transparent glance of the shadow that may see things that I may not see in both directions. As we spoke the other day, the shadows will see. Maybe our darkest shadow, <laughs> but also we'll see our brightest potential. And we help will help us to deal with the two of them. How you get reach there 
by acknowledging the shadow, integrating that in your present situation and reach your highest prospect. And so on. We should be willing to let ourselves be seen and not be like to over-identify with my shadow and shame and guilt and all this stuff that may like prevent others from knowing us. And we just develop like a mechanism of that's not what what's to be what a disciple is to be about. So we should be. But again, it's a voluntary act. So we need to, to engage in that exercise in the direction that we really feel. It's natural. On some level, natural. There, there has, for sure, there may be some some effort and sacrifice involved, but on some level that should be natural. We are feeling this call in an irresistible way. So, so that will be the reply. Not necessarily uh, there is any formality, but at the same time, as any relationship there is a natural expected development and that's the formality if you will you will acknowledge your attraction to that person your inspiration and, and you will ask what's next now how we carry on with this project <laughs> and there will be something coming from the other part because again it's, it's a two-way street it's not just I go with my Siksha Guru with all my stuff and and that's all no he will share with you his, her stuff <laughs> and, 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 and you will start to get to know each other and to adapt and to navigate <clears throat> the relationship <clears throat> so that's the idea so I hope that helps Jennifer so I think we are almost on time but if there is any other question we may Address one more. Just okay. a quick one. <laughs> I think it would be a quick answer. Uh, the other day you mentioned <clears throat> somebody has to point somebody as a brahmachari. Again, again, sorry, last, that, the other day what? That a guru has to point uh, somebody as a brahmachari. You mentioned there's a formality involved in you, a person becoming a, like the a brahmachari. When, when I say that? Yeah, we're in a ferry and I mentioned I never really felt like a brahmachari. I never really felt like... And you were like, yeah, you and Brigo said there's like a, some formality involved in it. Yeah, I say that. I mean, yeah. I remember the moment yeah, we were speaking, but I, I, don't, I, I don't remember that I said there is a maybe formality. Maybe it was or something like this. I, I, maybe I misheard totally, but... I mean, I'm not saying that can't be, but I'm just wondering, did I say that? But I, I don't remember, but... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, that can be also, of course, because... It's a way of, I mean, it's entering an ashram, so it's like a particular chapter in one's life. It's like what sometimes in, in Vedic tradition is called a samskar. Interesting, the word samskara means, we generally interpret that in yogic terms like impressions, mental impressions, receiving samskars. But also all these different, like, how do you say? Rituals that when you are in the womb and when you are born and you are eating grains and you are this, all these are called samskars, which imply in that crucial moment, like like uh, there is a term in English. Rite of passage. Ah, thank or, you I so mean, much. In the passage, there is a rite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these are like different moments that create like a breakthrough before and after that, if you will, no? before and after being a mother, before and after being married, before and after being. A monk, or whatever. <laughs> so, so by creating 
the awareness of, okay, I'm entering into a certain chapter which also requires some, again, commitment from me. Something is expected from me as a brahmachari, sannyasi, grihasta, father, mother, baby, even. <laughs> no. Those samskars are there to really make it clear the idea of commitment and creating this these samskars are creating samskars in us. That's the connection between the use of the word. Samskar is a ritual that creates samskars and impressions. So, and generally, of course, the idea is to go through all these different stages with as much blessings as we can. So that's why it's generally the guru is uh, invited somehow or other to preside over these ceremonies or at least know about them. No, I want to marry or I want the <laughs> and give his approval or not. And of course, depending, I don't know, for example, in sannyas, entering sannyas ashram, it's not just like, okay, I mean, not everyone is Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta to put the picture in front and re receive sannyas. No, you have to have certain depth and connection with your guru in order to not need him physically there imparting the mantra that was revealed to him in a dream and so <laughs> generally his guru will impart the mantra so you need the guru figure there and with brahmachari it's similar like similar with grihastha ashram i mean the guru may not be officially present there and giving you the saffron cloth or the white cloth or the garland here and there but I, I, at least the blessings of the Guru have to, have to be there. That's the active principle for for whatever step we are taking to be successful. So that's a famous example when when Srila Prabhupada was, uh, <clears throat> uh, was inaugurating Chandradaya Mandir in Mayapur and he invited Srila Sridhar Maharaj, his godbrother and whom he considered his Siksha Guru, to somehow preside over certain rituals for the... Uh, establishment, establishing of the deities and so on, and the temple. So Srila Maharaj went there with his uh, servant, Bhaktisundar Govinda Maharaj, and Srila Prabhupada received him and invited him to honor Prasad, and then invited Srila Maharaj to have a nap, because we are in India. <laughs> it's a part of the religion, it's some samskar. <laughs> so meanwhile, Srila Maharaj was resting, resting Srila Prabhupada was organizing all the rituals and everything to be done. So when Srila Samarasa awoke from the nap, everything was finished already. <laughs> everything was done. So Bhaktisundar Govinda Maharaj wondered and asked Srila Prabhupada, but, but I think you, you invited my Guru Maharaj to preside over all these important situations. So, but I see that you have done everything and he was just taking a nap. So I mean, I have no problem, he said, with that, but I wonder... I know there is something deeper here, so can you please share that with me? And Srila Prabhupada said, yes. I only needed the approval of your Guru Maharaj. No? Your Guru Maharaj gave my, the blessings, he accepted to come, and the approval of the Vaishnava is the only thing I need for everything to be successful. And I myself carried with all the complexities of dealing with every ritual. I didn't want to bother your Guru Maharaj with that. I only needed his blessings. That's the active principle that makes everything work. So... So this is basically the idea, not so much like the guru has to be there, like any artificial imposition, or, but basically like a natural, humble feeling that I need blessings. Because I need, I mean, because that's a reality, it's not fiction. I mean, we need blessings. <laughs> if we feel we don't need blessings, then we need blessings, <laughs> especially in the moment. 
No, so the, the point is, what, whatever step I'm taking in life, I need blessings at every single moment of my life. What to speak some crucial, again, like very f strong chapter of my life. I'm entering into one, changing my ashram and this and that. Important steps in life, at least that may be important for oneself. So we need blessings to, to walk there. So it's, it's more in that sense. It's more in that, in a very humble and sensitive way that I feel I need my Guru's blessings for. And of course, it has to be practical and you don't have to go neurotic or, or torture your Guru like asking, Guru Dev, can you give me blessings to take a shower today? No, I mean, you have to be practical also. But but there is place for, for, for that. For example, uh, not putting myself as an example, I'm just trying to follow the example I received. But I remember always when Srila Siddha Maharaj mentioned how in the, in the Gaudiya Math the devotees never read any book by themselves. They never picked the book and they started reading, but they only read something that was approved with the blessings of the Guru Maharaj. Because they felt, if I read a book without those blessings, the result of my study will be Gyan, not Bhakti. Will be just knowledge, but not devotional knowledge. <laughs> I don't know why, maybe because I like to read a lot, <laughs> I, I felt, okay, I need that. I mean, I really need that. <clears throat> from from that day on, I, every time I, I want to read a book, first I, I, I'm disturbing my Guru Maharaj, asking him. <laughs> I mean, until now he said yes every time I ask him, but, and I'm not doing that because I know he will say yes, but but really trying to enter into the mood without the blessings of the Guru, what will I take from the book? maybe just information but not transformation i want transformation i don't i don't care for information information is there to promote transformation all this have to promote transformation <laughs> because if we don't deal with information in a transformative way that information may yeah, transform us but in the wrong way we'll make our heart stone or something <laughs> so these are examples like that, no? So the feeling the need for blessings. So that's more the, the, the background of that. No? And that may take the form of a ritual and the, this and the bell here and the garland, the new color and whatever, mudras or whatever. <laughs> the realm of formality may be there, but the real substance of that is the, 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 the mercy of the sadhu and on our side, the need for blessings. Because if you don't have the need for blessing, you won't perceive the blessings of the salaries. You may be surrounded by blessed people, but if you don't feel the need to be blessed, how much you are taking advantage of that? So, so that, that's the idea. In a sustainable way, not in a neurotic way. I need blessing, I, I know I need more than what I feel. But trying to increase your necessity of being feeling blessed, that's, that's a very healthy prospect so so and again entering brahmacharya is not just i mean generally if you are brahmachari and with this i'm closing ideally brahmachari will live in an ashram and generally brahmachari doesn't live at home or something so to live in an ashram is well the ashram is the guru's ashram so naturally if you want to be a brahmachari you will ask your guru can I live in your ashram? <laughs> because that's what implies to be a brahmachari. No, it's, it's, it's not just I remain at, 
at my mother's house wearing saffron or something. No, it's, that's a mamachari, as we will say. <laughs> but brahmachari is something else. <laughs> and I know nowadays, again, we are not in Barna Ashram, and some devotees may be single, but maybe not be living in an ashram, so they are not grihastas in one sense, they are not brahmacharis, and with this I'm not pretending anyone, everyone should fit in one of the four classical, like... Designations, because if not, you are in, in limbo. I'm not saying that. I mean, world is changing, social dynamics. So many things are complex there. But if I will say, if you want to be a brahmachari, just not to make the the thing cheap, no, and just think, oh, I'm single, because I've seen that so many times. No, I'm single, so I, therefore I'm brahmachari. No. <laughs> no, in the same way that you may be married, that doesn't mean you are a grihasta. You can be Griha Medi. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Griha Medi basically, what, what's that? I don't know the exact translation. Yeah, yeah, but. But, they, but it means someone who is more attached to the, the partner than to Krishna. Yeah, yeah, like materialistic. Married person, basically. So it's, that was the, the parallel with being single. No, not necessarily you are being a brahmacharya. I mean, you can be single and and it's better for you not to be single, maybe. <laughs> maybe for some people being single, it's a, it's a less committed stage in life and they need not to be single to, be more, to learn to be more committed, at least to a partner. Because again, being a brahmachari means, okay, you are not committed to a wife, so you have some energy and time that is not invested in that direction but it should be invested in another committed direction because if not in the name of being a monk you become just a whimsical fellow and, and, and it doesn't work like that I, mean, I remember reading Thomas Merton I think it was No Mine is an Island and some of his books, one of his books he made all this it was so intense list that I had to make a seminar for the monastics I remember 10 years back on that no? like all the dangers of monasticism and he, he loved monasticism but he, was, he loved it so much as to realize if you are not really understanding what this is about and doing this seriously this can ruin you you can become just a totally self-centered egocentric person exploitative and whimsical and that has nothing to do with the ideal of being a monk and surrender your life to God with full commitment so my point is it's not a joke to be a brahmachari at least personally I don't want to water down water down you say? like mm -hmm. the, the term to dilute okay you are single okay bring some saffron clothes from him <sighs> no? because just because you are not married it's not so much like that so so my point is that no, if you if one really chooses to be a brahmachari, and again it's not that you have to be a brahmachari, but if you want to be or you choose, hopefully you, you do it properly. As if you choose to be a grihasta, there's a way of doing that properly. And if you choose to be a sannyasi, there's a way. And if you are not willing to do that, better don't do that. But you have to do something <laughs> at the same time, because of course all of these directions somehow are asking for for commitment. And it's, that shouldn't be a problem. No? If, if commitment is suffocating us, maybe there's a problem with us, basically. No? 
Because life is about commitment, life is about responsibility and growing. If we don't learn that lesson, we may become animals, basically, in human dress. So, <laughs> and what to speak if we are Gaudiya Vaishnavs? I mean, commitment is a big word. And it shouldn't scare us. No? It has to be embraced in a sustainable way from wherever we are, next step in the ladder, next step in the ladder. But there should be some healthy, sustainable progression. In commitment and that will make us advance spiritually if there is that link is not there for sure one will feel at one point I'm not making progress that happens I mean, you can feel that I mean I don't I'm not telling you try it <laughs> but if you are not too much yeah committed that and, and committed doesn't mean you have to do stuff you follow I mean everyone has con can continue with their own whatever you are doing but how you are doing that, no? in which direction, again, griha medi, grihasta, griha is there, <laughs> it's not that you have to make the griha explode, explode, but you have to really, how to approach that, how to increase my commitment, that's, I remember my guru must say that, <laughs> how can I please you the most, and he told me, try to increase your commitment with the ideal you have received, sounds abstract, but, <laughs> It, 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 it has the potential of becoming very concrete because I can apply that instruction to every single thing I'm doing on a daily basis. So. <laughs> okay, some ideas. Chilla Gurudev ki jai, Shriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Adinam Sankirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhaktagand ki jai, Gaur Premanand Hari Bol.